Does the mind control of science fiction have a spiritual analog? What would a world free of religious violence look like? Is it possible for humanity to evolve to be more wise and loving? We wonder about these what-ifs right now in the NCE Spotlight, your home for fresh insights and spiritual musings from the ongoing translation of the New Century edition of Swedenborg's Theological Works. All right, here we are for another NCE Spotlight, our time to bask in the glow of insights from the New Century Edition translation of Swedenborg's theological works. And to do that, I have with me Dr. Jonathan Rose. Welcome, Jonathan. Thank you so much. And also with us, we've got Curtis Childs. Glad to be here. It's an honor. Yeah, well, it's great to have you here. And again, for anyone who doesn't know, Jonathan is the series editor for the New Century Edition. And so you're doing, you've got your heads down editing the volumes of Secrets of Heaven that are being translated in the New Century Edition into English and being released serially. And coming up in 2022, we, we have, we can look forward to volumes three and four that are coming out. And as you're doing your editing work, you just come across these amazing passages that like blow your mind and our mind. And it's so fun to come here week after week and get to just hear what those are and wonder about them together. So what have you got for us this week? Well, that's exactly right. And it's so fun for me. And this week, I've got a group of passages that all, to my mind, there are four passages that fit under the heading of what-ifs that have to do with our life on Earth. They're just mm-hmm. an intriguing collection of passages that all came out of Secrets of Heaven, Volume 3, which will be the first one to appear in the near future. So this is section 2477. And Swedenborg has been explaining that we have two levels of memory, inner memory and outer memory. And when we're alive in this world, we're generally only aware of our outer memory. But our inner memory is a much more detailed record of everything we think and feel and how other people interact with us. All kinds of things are in there. That's Mm -hmm. where... um, I piece together that our life review, you know, is more from that kind of level of memory. And so mm-hmm. some spirits are discussing what would happen should you have your outer memory still active in the other world or not. Because the case is, Swedenborg says, that your outer memory is put to sleep. It's not helpful. It actually gets in the way a little bit. And you really need to be in your inner memory in that other world. And so this what if is it's just three little sentences, but it blows my mind. What if spirits flowed into us from their outer memory? You know, what if their outer memory was still working and the spirits who are with us as we go through our day-to-day lives were flowing into us from their outer memory? And it says, if spirits flowed into us from their outer memory, we would not be able to think from our own memory but only from theirs. So we would lose control of our own life and responsibility for ourselves and would be obsessed. This is exactly what obsession once was like. Hmm. That is so bizarre sounding to me. (laughs) 
it's wild to think about like what's the order of operations there like spirits flow in but their inner memory is good like that connects to us somehow but if their outer memory is active then it overrides an earthling's outer memory you know like somebody who's alive on earth it's so weird it's almost like one of these things with computers where you plug in this external drive and it takes over the whole thing Uh, it doesn't even have to deactivate our memory it's just if you plugged in their memory all our thoughts would be based on their memories not our own and that would give them some kind of control over us we would almost be zombies or or like like a a slave to some you know master module somewhere else that's what's so wild about this number to me or as it's striking me is that i can use the word override and that's like a computer term you know like our technology of today gives me better vocabulary for understanding what swedenborg was writing about in the 1700s and and even even you know in popular culture i we have that concept of mind control you know or in, in fantasy stories and things like that I can recount, you know, there's movies about it and stuff, but we, but Swedenborg was writing in the 1700s. So again, he's writing from just his direct experience of the spiritual world and his sort of taking notes on, oh, this is how this works. And that's just amazing that now here we are in history, a couple of hundred, 150 years late, 250 years later, really. And he's it's making more sense now than maybe it even did then. Mm. I think we have we have a lot easier time understanding what Swedenborg's talking about with all kinds of things because of technological metaphors. I think yeah. Jonathan talking about the hard drive swap, even the, the way that the spiritual world works, things being outside of time and space is so internet-y. I, I think there's probably a lot of stuff that in Swedenborg's day, people didn't have any kind of frame of reference for anything that could work like that. And so it just became word salad to them, but we can look and say, (laughs) hey man, I know what that is. I know what that's talking about. And interesting that it elevates the importance of memory. I would think that if my memory got swapped with some spirit's memory, that, okay, it might be weird. I would be thinking, hey, didn't I have a birthday 200 years ago in some other place or oh, I can't remember where my house is. I just remember where some other stone building I used to live in is, right? That would be if yes. some, I had someone else's memory. But he's saying that if you swap those two things, the spirit would have control over me. So our memory must be really important in how we live our lives, which makes it intriguing to think if we swap out of that memory to our spiritual memory, when we become spirits, it must be a very different kind of life we're leading. And I'm amazed how three short, for Swedenborg, sentences can open up a whole theory of the mind and, yeah, I don't know, it's just amazing. Contrary to fact, you know, a statement that says it doesn't work this way, here's what would happen if it did, and there's, oh. I know, like it it spells out it's just so detailed, you know, <laughs> even the whole concept, outer and inner memory, like as if those are just, oh, yeah, I'm used to talking in those terms. Like, no, I'm not. But he's using it yes. in very functional <laughs> terms. Right. Your Honor, there is no motive for my client to be fabricating this thing about the memories for his own benefit 
or to advance his career or to get people <laughs> to worship him. This is this is an absolutely useless fact for anything other than, as Chelsea is saying, empirical observation. Yep, that's right. One of Swedenborg's great interests: how the mind works. Mm-hmm. The second what if that uh, came up in this editing was uh, what would happen if churches, if earthly religions regarded love as the essential thing. Love for the Lord and charity for our neighbor underpin all the law and form the subject that all the prophets address. So love and charity are the essential ingredients of all theology and worship. If, there's the if, if we took this as a premise, our minds would then be enlightened by vast numbers of passages in the word that otherwise lie hidden in the murk of false assumptions. In fact, heresy would then vanish. All the churches would join into one. No matter how great the differences in doctrinal teachings derived from this premise or pointing to it, and no matter how great the differences in ritual. Again, this is a what if that kind of blows your mind, I think, of really? Wow, that's the only thing that's holding this the way that it is. I mean, it's kind of a condemnation of what's currently going on because it suggests that all these divisions and all this, uh, you know, chat about ritual and doctrine and differences uh, is an indicator that love is not regarded as the essential thing. And all that would go away very quickly if it were. I think that religion as a whole doesn't know why it's there, doesn't know why it exists, doesn't know fundamentally what it's doing. All, all these different, you can have a million different attitudes going into being religious. It can be uh, about being a part of an in-group. It can be about trying to control people. So even, even within the theology, if you're not being um, you know, sort of cynical about it, sometimes you're approaching religion as like, okay, I'm placating a powerful being, or I am trying to gain favor with that being, or I'm avoiding something. What are we doing here? Why do we have all these books and rituals and architecture and organizations? It's like the some like if some new CEO came in to all of religion and said, okay, no, 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 we're gonna we're gonna the mission. Don't forget the mission statement. The mission statement is we're here to you know become nice to each other and to love each other. That's what all this is for. All of that, every single cathedral you've got going on, every single decree, it's all about trying to facilitate the emergence of love for the neighbor. That's a that's a different vibe. I mean, that, that's sure it's in a lot of people's hearts, but overall, if you pulled the human race and said, "What's the point of religion?" You would be yeah. mixed reviews, right? It'd be mixed results. It wouldn't be everyone realized, "Oh yeah, that's what it's about." Oh, hmm. I love it so much because, like, thinking to think about religion, the whole purpose of religion to be loving other people, or it's a tool for people to become better at loving other people. Like if that was what everybody, the default understanding of what does it mean to be religious was that, then you'd have people being like, oh yeah, I want to get some more religious people over here because they're the ones who really know how to love other people. You know, like you would, 
<laughs> you would be wanting it. There would be demand. Like, we need more love over here. We need more, like, love pros mm. over here in terms of, like, how to really help and show up and love people. Um, so that, that mm. just sounds so cool. So that was from number 2385. And actually, my next quote is from the very next subsection. That was subsection four. This is subsection five, which is another what if, extending that same point, but saying how we would view each other if we were in that world where love was the predominant factor in religion, and also saying that it used to be this way. We've sort of forgotten that this was what religion was supposed to be about, but we used to know. He writes, that's what the ancient church was like. It stretched through many countries, Assyria, Mesopotamia, Syria, Ethiopia, Arabia, Libya, Egypt, and Philistia, all the way to Tyre and Sidon by way of Canaan on both the near and far sides of the Jordan. These peoples had different doctrines and different rituals, but were still a single church because charity was the vital element to them. In those days, the Lord's kingdom was on earth as it is in the heavens, hmm. quoting the Lord's prayer there, because that's what heaven is like. If this were how matters now stood, we would all be ruled by the Lord as one person. We would be like members and organs of a single body, which although they differ in form and function, are still connected to a single heart on which they all depend, each in its own form, each different from the next. Then, no matter what our theology or what our outward form of worship, we would each say, you are my kin. I see that you worship the Lord and that you are a good person. Mm, I'm just like a snapping over here, my applause at <laughs> that number. <laughs> I feel, I feel so lucky because I get to move in some interfaith circles and do interfaith work. So I've had the privilege to be in settings where it's a number of people from a number of different faiths coming together and sharing very honestly and openly about life and, you know, justice work and everything that, you know, is important to them. And, uh, and it's just so apparent like it's these these moments where you feel how the truth of this that when you have love as the focus and love as the center then people becoming having differences in their religious uh, traditions and everything and rituals and all that becomes just something beautiful and something to celebrate just like i mean you think about it being like individuality you know how much it's it's so fun to see unique different people it's so fun to be able to see and appreciate people in their different religious expressions uh and and so it's just awesome to me that i feel like that's something that's growing in our world today and just man about time i'm so excited about it <laughs> and i think it really highlights the importance of understanding what the point of religion is. Because if you get to that final state that he was describing where you say, I see that you worship the Lord and, and you're my kin. Well, you have to understand what worshiping the Lord is and you have to understand what religion is there for. If you understand that that Lord is that single heart, which is 
to you know foster a love of the neighbor, then mm-hmm. I can look across at the next religion and see and say, well, look at that. It is doing that. It is getting people to look towards what's good and true. And I, I can see that the single heart of the Lord in that. But if you have a misconception of what religion is, if you think, well, religion is to get people to say my confession, particular confession of faith, and there's a God who will only accept that confession, it's impossible to say, oh, I see you worship the Lord because that's not what worshiping the Lord is to you. It's just like if, mm-hmm. if there was in any other endeavor where you understand the goal and under, you can see it's self-evident, it can be tackled in different ways. If, if we were part of some massive, like clean plastic out of the oceans campaign, and we were in a boat that had this net trawling behind us with little hooks on it that would pick up plastic, and we would see we got that plastic. And then if we looked over and there was like a submarine with baskets out the side picking up plastic, we would, if we looked and saw that they'd collected a bunch <laughs> yeah. of plastic, we'd be like, oh yeah, you're, you are doing the same thing we're doing. But if you don't understand what collecting plastic is, it's impossible to know whether they're working for or against you. Hmm. Oh man, yep, it's so true. That's awesome. And I love how short that list is, as both of you were saying, just worship the Lord and be a good person. You know, like there's so much additional drama that goes on now, it seems like, but but that's what would be the basis. And I love that idea that it would be love between these differences. It would be like, that is so great that you're, that you see God that way or that you have this practice or, or, or that view yeah. of the mind or how to And it's people. also, it's even... It's in, it's so inspiring is what I find because I just find myself so humbled when I get when I see somebody because I've just gotten to see this so many times of somebody expressing how their faith drives them to show up in more loving ways in their life. It's just like oh, it's just amazing, and it's and it 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 impresses on me. It you know it increases my desire and motivation to you know draw on my own faith to show up to people, you know, in the world in a more loving way. So it just becomes mm. this amplification when you have when you have those differences and you, you know, you're all collecting plastic together, as Curtis says. <laughs> nice. And my fourth what if concerns the condition that we humans are in when we're born. It's so striking, isn't it? I, I remember seeing the video of a horse being born and the horse already knows that you need to run, you need to balance, and has a good idea of how to do that. And very soon after being born, maybe an hour, you know, it's, it's running around. Mm-hmm. And humans take years to get to that point. And so Swedenborg addresses it. There's been a question I've often wondered. So this is section 1902. And here's a what if. If we were not steeped in inherited evil, okay, ouch, Hmm. our rationality would be born directly from a marriage between the heavenly and the spiritual qualities of our inner self, and knowledge would be born through our rationality. We would come into the world already equipped with a full supply of rationality and knowledge. (laughs) That's how we were originally designed. The evidence for this is the fact that all animals of every stripe are born into all the knowledge they need or can use. 
what to eat, how to stay safe, where to live, how to reproduce. Their nature harmonizes with their destiny. What would we be capable of then? If our destiny were not destroyed in us, we are the only beings born without knowledge. Whoa. <laughs> that is amazing. And I almost, when, when you first read that, I th was thinking, well, look at us. We're doing pretty well without knowledge. Look at all the amazing yes. technology we can build and all that. What could we do with knowledge? But then I'm thinking, well, what kind of knowledge is that really? Because we've mm -hmm. done a lot of things, but we're causing a lot of problems to ourselves, uh, you know, to, to others. And I think that the, the knowledge that's really missing is the knowledge of uh, love of the neighbor and love of the yes. Lord. That that's, you think a, a bear knows how to be a bear. It has all the instincts for how to exist in, in the habitat that it's in. And our instincts are supposed to be those of loving our neighbor as ourself and, and loving what's good and true and, and having a tendency to act towards those. So it might even be that maybe we wouldn't know how to build a faster spaceship, but we would know how to treat everyone well and, and care for things and, and stop doing harmful things to each other. That ties out well with the fact that he does, I focused on knowledge, but rationality takes even longer and is even rarer <laughs> in the human race, I would have to say. The idea that these little kids would be born like knowledgeable and rational. I don't know. It's kind of dangerous because my, my six-year-old already can remember stuff way better than me, and she uses that to her advantage. So <laughs> I'm a little nervous of these rational kids that are coming. <laughs> I know. And I believe there are passages that I've run across in Swedenborg's works that suggest that this is on the menu for the human race going forward, that if we do enough repentance and work on ourselves, yeah. there may be generations born without that inherited evil, uh, in which case they would come into that rationality and knowledge, and they would have uh, that love of the Lord and love of the neighbor from what I understand from these other passages, would be kind of hardwired in, not that you wouldn't have a choice about it, but that would be the default setting instead yeah. of self-centeredness and, and, and that kind of thing that's often predominant. Back in my day, we used to have to walk barefoot through a blizzard <laughs> surrounded by inherited evil to school. You kids these days have hereditary good. You don't know nothing. Oh my gosh, it's so... You didn't have to work for it. We had to work for it. <laughs> you can thank us later. Yeah. Oh, man. I think Swedenborg uses this what-if form to try to challenge us. You know, the way a therapist will say, what mm -hmm. would it look like if you weren't paralyzed by anxiety? Yes. <laughs> to have a new thought. Like, there's this possibility here. Right. What mm. if... To start, to, because we tend to assume, oh, the human race is going to be the way it is. Religion is the way it is. Yeah. But maybe wow. not. There are things on the menu that we wouldn't know if they weren't revealed to us. So, so great. Oh, man, what a feast. Thank you so much, Jonathan. And thanks, Curtis, for being here, too. This was just a total delight. Yeah, it was so fun. Well, thanks for the opportunity. 
I hope your heart was uplifted and your mind inspired by this week's NCE Spotlight. Subscribe to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to tap into this stream of fresh insights from the New Century Edition translation and join us on our excursions into the historical context of Swedenborg's life and works. As we travel into the past, we find it is eminently relevant to the present. And if you've benefited from the work of the Swedenborg Foundation through Off the Left Eye and the New Century Edition, consider supporting us with a donation. We are a nonprofit and depend on the support of our donors. To give, go to swedenborg.com donate. Give if you can, receive if you need. We're all in this together, and we're so glad you're here.